When Laurel's daughter, Ellie Mack, went missing at 15, her life seemed to fall apart. And after years of no police leads, they contact her with new information. Laurel hopes the lead will bring her closure. But will it? The book. Then she was gone. The author, Lisa Jewell. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit! lit! This is Alexis. Hello, this is Kari. Oh, okay. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. I'm in Atlanta. Uh, and I didn't I'm know if busy. you wanted to tell your business. Yeah, you uh, in yeah. Atlanta eating lemon pepper wings wet. If, if only that were <laughs> the um the excitement of my life. It's not, but you know, maybe I'll share at a future time my whole life experience this week. But in the meantime, I'm going to move on to the theme of the week. Let's go, baby girl. I can't wait. I'm excited. What are we going to talk about this week? Okay. Well, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we are reading. This week's theme is memorable missing person cases. Okay. They're memorable to me. Okay, you guys? Yeah, it's just yes. two, but they're memorable. Mm. All right. The first case. Now, this begins with a question, Kari. Do you know who John Walsh is? Yes. he. Um, his boy went missing. And so he wanted to help other people find their missing people. And so he became the host of a show mm, called... Uh, what was America's it? Most Wanted. Oh, America's yep. Most Wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he became what they call an anti-crime activist after the kidnapping and murder of his son in 1981. Um, I think he also has another show called Hunt with John Walsh. And I learned about John Walsh from a movie called Adam, which is the movie that tells the story about the disappearance of his son, the disappearance mm-hmm. and murder of his son. His son went missing on July 27th, 1981. Adam was with his mom at the store on a shopping trip in a Hollywood, Florida mall. In the mall, the mom left Adam at a kiosk that had Atari games on display. And there were several other boys there taking turns playing with um, them. They were playing the games together. And so she went to go find out about a a lamp in the store. And then when she completed her business around 1215, I don't know the start of the time that she walked away. But when she completed her business, she returned to where she left Adam and he and the other boys were gone. And it turns out. Yep. All the boys. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the store manager told her that the kids were fighting over who's turn it was to play. So the security guard, which um, as I understand it was a a teenage kid, threw them out of the store. And this is an entrance that was different from where Adam was familiar with. And so he was taken at that time. This is a time before cameras though and everything, you know? So someone saw him wandering alone and took advantage Yep. Mm-hmm. So when the mom returned, she's looking for him in a toy department. She checked 
She um, had him paged over the public address system. She continued looking for him throughout the store. It was by coincidence that she ran into her mother-in-law and they looked for him together. But then after about 90 minutes of searching and paging, failed to bring um, Adam to them. They caught the police at 1.55 p.m. And I just remember this t- this um, movie when it came out on TV. It was, I just remember being young and heartbroken. Mm-hmm. It just like it was such a sad um, story. And it made me think if I ever had children, how they would never go anywhere. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not going to get into the gory details, but I will say that Adam was found not his whole person, on Mm. August 10th. Um, And while the parents did not believe what they found was Adam, the next morning they went on television, national television, saying they hope he was still alive. But they found out later that what they did find, what the police did find, was their son, Adam. Mm -mm. Oh, that tears me up. Wow, because... You think leaving a child, let's say she only left him for 10 minutes and kids arguing. I mean, who's in the wrong here besides the monster that took him? And you want to say never leave your kids. But is that practical? I mean, Astrea. But Yeah. yeah, so that is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. But one of the things about John Walsh, he... um. Like I said, he became an anti-crime activist. Yeah. And through his work over the years, um, he helped to put into, through Congress, the Missing Children's Assistance Act, um, the Code Adam for lost children in, in a department store, and then also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I admire how he took all of that pain and really used it to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So the next case I want to talk about that stood out to me, and this is a a little shorter, but I don't know if you remember this, Kari, but this is the Alexis Patterson case. Do you remember that name? Oh, of course. No, no. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. She was just walking from school or to school went missing and still has never been found. Yes. Now, I do believe this is the a case of a missing young black girl. She was seven years old at the time, and she went missing in May of 2002 after her stepfather walked her to school. And Alexis attended the school that was like a block from her mother's house. Um Alexis wasn't in class that day, but people say they saw her on the playground that morning. And while the stepfather failed a polygraph test, the questions that were failed were not released to the public. And they don't believe the stepfather played any involvement with Alexis' disappearance. But they also, the couple, um, the stepfather and Alexis' mom, they separated after Alexis disappeared. The biological father wasn't um, looked at because he was in prison at the time of her disappearance. Mm. And they were never able to find Alexis. And that 
was so devastating to me because she just lived a block away from her home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just like. And you say you saw her on the playground, but did you really see her? Did you just see another black girl? And you just, yeah, yeah, it must have been her. Yeah. And that, that story was just so scary to me. And I think I had a child by the, Oh, yeah, I did. Don't tell nobody I said that. I <laughs> had a child at the time. So that was just really scary to me again. Yeah, but those yeah. are the two cases that make an imprint on my mind about missing children. So do you have any tips on how to prevent abductions? That would be nice, but I don't. No problem. I have a few. So these are from kidshealth.org. Just so that we can end on a helpful note, because this is really terrifying for any parent. You know, auntie, play cousin. Nobody wants to hear about their children going missing. Nobody. Right. So um, first of all, the reality is that most kids who are reported missing have run away. Of the kids and teens who are truly abducted, most are taken by a family member or acquaintance, and only a quarter of those kids are taken by strangers. Um, So ways to prevent abductions. Make sure to have your um, custody documents in order. Um, If you share custody with another person, things like that, make sure you have all of that information in order. If someone is in charge of picking your child up from the school, make sure the school knows that. If there's a last minute change, you know, things happen, your friend or grandmother has to go pick them up, make sure you call the school. And the school should never be releasing children to someone who is not on their confirmed list of guardians. Uh, Second, you can always have your um, child's ID like photos taken every six months because kids change in appearance. And that way, as they're being searched for, unfortunately, if they do wind up missing, there's a recent photo of them. So it should be a clear picture, a professional photo every six months. When my daughter was in um, school, they used to take one of those pictures every year. It was almost like a, a license for them. And they would take it and you could always have like the most current picture of your child. I remember having those. In addition to school photos. In addition to school photos. Yep. Okay. Um, Another tip is to keep your kids medical and dental records up to date. Uh, make sure they're on on make sure that online they're safe. That means whoever they're gaming with, whoever they're chatting with, uh, make sure you talk to them about who they're communicating with and what those people are saying to them. Ideally, they won't be talking to people they don't know online. I mean, their kids. Uh, set boundaries about the places you go and supervise them, especially places like stores, like Alexis mentioned, or malls, movie theater, parks, public bathrooms, um, even, you know, uh, walking them to school. Make sure you're watching them walk through the door. And at that point, they are the responsibility of the school. Never leave kids alone in a car stroller, even for a minute, because you don't know what monsters out there might be searching for them. And then choose caregivers that you can trust, not just Sally Sue from down the block. Choose someone that will be responsible with your most precious possession, your child. And on that last note about choose somebody you trust, I remember one time I had to go to work and my normal caregiver was not available. I say trust children's instincts. Um, Not that there was. So I left her with a 
co-worker's mom. Mm-hmm. And my child did not like the woman at all. And so while I needed care for the next day, I did not send her back because she wasn't comfortable with mm-hmm. her. And so I say to that, trust your children's instinct. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think she was a bad woman. But if my child isn't comfortable, I, I don't think she needs to be there. And that goes to... um respecting the autonomy of a child, right? So if a child says they're not comfortable with an adult, no need to discourage them from communicating with you about how they're not comfortable with someone. That should be encouraged. Um, They shouldn't have to talk to adults they don't want to talk to. Uh, If someone comes up to them and asks them for their name, never give someone your name. Why they need your name? (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Is there not an adult nearby that they can be talking to instead of that child? Don't write your child's names on their shirts, stuff like that. Um, And adults, you call in an Uber. Don't just be getting all up in any car. I check the license plate, then I open the door and I say, who you here for? Exactly. Okay. Oh, yeah, you do do that. Mm, I Meanwhile, do. I just check the um, plate and see if my name is on the thing. That's important. You got <laughs> it. Well, thank you for sharing those tips, Kari. Did you have more tips to share? Or was that No, it? no, that's it. Just stay safe out there. Folks crazy. Yeah, thank you for that bonus information. So let's take a quick break before we jump into the author and context. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Right, and we're back. Kari, what can you share with us about the author? And if you have something, some context around the writing of this book, that would be great as well. Okay, I love Lisa Jewell's story because she wasn't a writer growing up. There aren't, um, there was nothing I found that showed that she had an interest in writing in her teen years, prepubescent years. She was someone who was into fashion. She was born in London, 1968, got a diploma in fashion illustration, and then worked in retail. Um, I found an interview with her at theartdesk.com. And this is what she says. She says, I started writing my first novel in 1995. I was 27 and I just come out of a dark, dark marriage to a controlling man who'd kept me more or less locked away from the world. I had no front door key, no phone, was not allowed to see my friends or my family. If I displeased him, I was subjected to week long silences and constant criticism. I finally broke away from the marriage early that same year and desperately wanted to purge the experience by writing about it. Wow. End quote. So I see how an experience like that could influence her creation of some of the characters in this book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the yeah, book that yeah. we're reading today. Yeah. So I just love Lisa Jewell's story because it shows you don't have to go to the best schools that are um, that specialize in your trade, in your art, in your craft. Um, but you can just by practice and practice and no doubt she did have to learn how to properly properly form a story but your editor can help you with that like that's yeah. their job you know to a degree, to a degree um, and she yeah. just wrote and she is still writing from 1999 when she published her first novel Ralph's Party she's been like churning out books nearly every year I think this is like her 16th novel oh, and it feels wow. fresh 
right? If it doesn't wow. feel like oh another another Hercule Poirot. <laughs> I know y'all hate the way we say it. That's his name. His name Listen, is Hercule Poirot. You know okay. what? Speaking of which, if I could just um, digress, I was like strongly scolded and corrected and given lessons on how to say it properly. Thank you, readers, because I'm sick of her mispronouncing it too. So um, back to this though. <laughs> you know how sometimes books can be like, oh, this is your 22nd novel. I get it because this plot is just like your fifth novel. Well, mm. now with Lisa Jewell, I feel like she really thinks through her plots, approaches each each character uh, from a unique perspective. And okay. yeah, so that's her. That's Lisa Jewell. Uh, that's a little bit I found about her. And that really inspired me as a wannabe writer, um, as a wannabe novelist um, to hear her experience. Okay, well, I'm excited about your future works and thanks for sharing that <laughs> information okay. about our author. Now, let's hear a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive. On the 10th anniversary of her youngest daughter's disappearance, one woman must choose to let go of her pain and reopen herself to life and love. After meeting a charming writer who reminds her of her ex-husband, she begins a path that takes her somewhere she never imagined to the truth about her daughter's disappearance a decade earlier. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Then She Was Gone? You know, initially, it kind of made me think of those girl books. Yes, uh, Girl on the Train, Gone Girl. And then that girl was Gone Girl. (laughs) Yeah, it it made, that's the title. It just really made me think of that. I was like, is it another one of these? But sometimes those are good. And sometimes they're really bad. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nothing against those. I was just like, okay, another one. Yeah. So what about you? Who do you think would enjoy reading this book? If you love those girl books. (laughs) (laughs) If there are some girl books. um, And if you don't know, there was, um, I will say that Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn sparked this series of books books with girl in the title some of them seem rushed together but basically people fell so in love with gone girl that publishers wanted to reproduce that uh popularity and started churning out books with girl on the cover the book would have none but boys in it they would say girls <laughs> girls girls and you read the book like what in the world was that exactly. but some of them i mean all of them became movies <laughs> but well, some, i mean really a lot girl of on them the train for sure yeah so if you love those types of stories um there's usually a lover you can't trust um some twist yeah. That maybe you saw it coming, maybe you didn't. If you love those type of books, then I think you'll love Lisa Jules and then she was gone. Okay, that sounds great. All right, then, Kari, I love that. Uh, are you ready to take this deep dive into then she was gone? Show is. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, spoilers coming, just so you know. I do want to start with a mild content warning that this book does address things such as child abduction and miscarriage. If those are triggers for you, perhaps do not listen to this episode. And now we begin. Part one, never get a math tutor. So <laughs> the not, the months before she was gone, the months before she was gone were the best of her life. Who am I talking about? Basically everybody, but we're going to start with Ellie. These were good months 
um, in a good family. Ellie is this girl. She's entering um, like, I don't know if it's the last, I don't know if it's 12th grade because she does have a big task coming up, but she's like 15. Yeah, but she's really intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, the best looking boy in grade 11 asked her out um, and they were perfect for each other. His name was Theo Goodman, Theo Goodman. Her school became a stage for their love story in her mind. And that's real like um, main character syndrome. And yeah, Ellie got it. She's a little bit (laughs) self-centered. You know, everybody likes her. The cutest boy everybody knows is wanting her. And she like this school ain't not. And I'm like studious and intelligent. So this school ain't none but the stage for my love story and my nice smart admirable boyfriend and he really is nice smart and admirable people even like his family like he's a very well-mannered uh studious straight a student that just happens to be fine and that's her man but there was a kink (laughs) there was a kink in the timeline that would disrupt her world snatching everything from her she didn't know it yet but it was coming She came home from school one day hating herself for getting a B plus on a math test because it wasn't as good as Theo's A. Okay, because her boyfriend was really smart. Mm -hmm. And her mom is like, well, we ain't got enough for a math tutor, not this math tutor you're demanding. And because Ellie is a brat, because she got everything her she wanted because she's her mother's favorite child and she couldn't accept no for an answer. (laughs) She persisted. So her mother would figure out a way to get her the math tutor she wanted. If she hadn't been so persistent, if she'd studied and prepared more for that test where she got a B plus, if she dated a boy even who didn't care about grades, then none of it would have happened. Ellie, by being less selfish, could have saved herself. But the opportunity slipped away and she didn't even know it. Now, Mm. let's talk about her family. How would you describe this family, Alexis, that she's part of? Maybe a bit dysfunctional you think well because the the i don't know if the parents were happy before they before the ellie went missing okay um ellie was like the favorite child like literally the favorite child at least of the mom to the mom yeah and it seemed like the other kids were like quote-unquote throwaways so okay listen so this is the family the the dad is paul the mom is laurel the older sister is hannah the only um male child is jack and then there's the youngest daughter ellie the mom will be the character we follow most in this story and even before her daughter was gone laurel the mom was the type of woman that was never satisfied some people are just like that she's kind of like very specific in what she wants from people she's very specific in what she wants from herself Um, not quite stern but very well put together and Mm -hmm. she she has expectations for everyone um And then her husband is probably a great match for her because he's a little sloppy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, a little more casual to her formal. And then her son, she would look at her son, Laurel Wood, and be like, (laughs) he's a little too pimply. He a whole teenage boy, you know, or or at least early 20s. 
And she's like, mm, that's one pimple too many. Why are you so pimply? Her <laughs> oldest daughter, she felt was exhausting, but her soulmate was her youngest soulmate. daughter, Ellie. And that's, that's how Laurel felt. Yeah. When Ellie left the house that fateful day, she asked her mom to make sure no one else ate her leftover lasagna. She was like, is there still lasagna, mom? Because I love lasagna. Don't let anyone eat it. And her mom was like, I won't, Ellie. <laughs> Not even Hannah. And <laughs> not even my oldest daughter, whatever her name is. <laughs> and her mother ensured no one ate it even after it was clear Ellie was missing. Ellie was a missing child. There was no image of her on closed caption uh, security cameras, closed caption, closed circuit security cameras. Um, local pedophiles were questioned. A television appeal was recorded and released. Nothing came of it. When she left, she took nothing out of the ordinary. She was supposed to go to the library. She didn't take the money out of her piggy bank. She didn't take a toothbrush, no deodorant, no food. But she was deemed a runaway eventually. And the search was then downgraded. So it was kind of like we can't find her. So she must have ran away. Yeah. <laughs> no real evidence. Especially given that she told her mom, I'll be back. Don't eat my lasagna. Exactly. So it's not the parents who kind of. Uh, gave up hope. It was the police and authorities. They, right. they and like we said, most people that most children that go missing are runaways. They choose to leave by choice. So if only a fourth of those are abducted, um, it can be easy to see why um, someone in authority might say, well, they must have run away. My hands are tied, you know, right. Mm hmm. Um, when she was deemed a runaway, the search was downgraded. And then the dad, Paul, was like, it's sort of a closure. He said that out loud. And I felt Laurel here because it was in that moment that the nail went in the coffin of their marriage. She was like, what do you, what do you mean? That's a sort of closure. We know our daughter didn't run away. Right. So how are you just okay with this? Why are you yeah, okay you just with laying this? Down. No one in the family cared enough uh, in Laurel's mind. And, no one right. was like, maddened and in hysteria like they should have been and if there's any if there's ever a reason to go crazy isn't a missing loved one reason enough well no one else felt that really but laurel no one was angry enough desperate enough um paul moved out a year later and then they were divorced there was nothing left in their marriage um so later paul has moved in with another woman he's happy and laurel is honestly happy for him she wishes she could move on too but she just can't jack the boy lives with a girl named blue not Blue Ivy. This is another Blue. <laughs> Hannah, the um, oldest girl, now the only girl, lives in a flat that Laurel cleans weekly out of guilt for not being a good mother. So yeah. Laurel just shows up to the house scrubbing the floors and stuff on a schedule like a cleaning lady. It gives Laurel something to do. Yeah. And it helps appease her uh, mom guilt because she wasn't a good mom. Um, especially after Ellie went missing, she was just kind of absentee mom. 
Um, the kids moved out quickly. It should be noted after school, they was like out. And so Laurel is alone now. The husband is gone. He's divorced or they're divorced. Yeah, he lives divorced. with his girlfriend and the older kids, the two kids are gone. And she's often alone in life. It's just a series of actions she doesn't care about. She goes swimming because it's just something to do. And she's always done it. She meets with people who are kind of boring for lunch and calls them friends. Even though she knows they're not. (laughs) (laughs) But on the 10 year anniversary of um, Ellie's disappearance, she receives a phone call from the police because they found something they want her to see. So now let's have a little flashback. Noelle Donnelly was Ellie's math tutor. She has small teeth. Never trust people with small teeth. Just kidding. You know what? Let Uh, me just tell you this. My friend said I have small teeth. I don't think I have small teeth. It's terrifying. I think I have a lot of gums, but I don't have small teeth. I am not that person, okay? (laughs) It's fine because I got chiglets in my mouth. It's fine. (laughs) You do not. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, Noelle Donnelly, uh, Ellie's math tutor, had these small teeth, these small, thin little legs, and a slight hunch. (laughs) Ellie would look at her and think, it looks like you spend a lot of time in a room with a low ceiling. (laughs) So Ellie's a little, you know, she's gorgeous. She's a gorgeous kid like her mom. And she's picked up some of her mom's like mm, judgmental eye. I'll mm-hmm. say that she has yeah. a judgmental eye, kind of like her mom when it comes to people. Uh, Noelle asked Ellie about her boyfriend, about her life. Um, and Ellie first found her odd and off-putting, but slowly got accustomed to her, even liked her. Uh, what's the worst thing to happen to you? Noelle asked one day. So one day for their sessions, Noelle looked like she was kind of far away. And she started asking all these nearly existential questions like, why are we here? Who are we? And then she's (laughs) like, she's like, Ellie, what's the worst thing that happened to you? What did you really want that you were never allowed to have? And Ellie's like, I don't know, man. I'm just here for the math. No, you're weird. (laughs) You're weird. Ah." And Noelle's like, have you ever owned a hamster? Maybe not owning a hamster is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Um, no. Hey, yeah. And Ellie's <laughs> like, I don't know. I never thought about it. I never really wanted a hamster. Can we do the math? And so um, you're really a lucky girl indeed is what Noelle ends up saying, because you you get to be my age and there will be loads of things you want and you'll see other people get them and there will be nothing you can do about it. Then she asked, what are your dreams? Ellie dreamed of passing her test and going to a good school. Noelle responds with, I went to Trinity, a great school, and I'm the poorest person I know. There's more to life than going to a good school, more than certificates and qualifications. I get paid to fill your head with my knowledge. Then I go home to nothing. She is such a drag. When the tutor left, Ellie's like, hey, mom, I'm done with tutoring. I feel like I've gone as far as I can go with the tutoring. I'm doing great in school. Let's end it. Let's end the tutoring. Yeah. um, She didn't tell the truth. She didn't she didn't say like because my tutor freaks me out. Instead, Ellie told her mom she's gone as far as she can. And so her mom's like, fine, dear, whatever you want. So. Noelle didn't take it well when the mom called. She expressed concern that she wouldn't be able to fill her schedule. You know, you're letting me know last minute. I reserved mm-hmm. this spot for Ellie and now you're canceling her sessions. And Laurel insists, Noelle, you'll be fine. And that was that. Part two. Ooh. A bag isn't a body. 
When Laurel arrived at the police station, remember the police called and they were like, can you come to the station? We got something to show you instead of yeah. just telling her. Mm-hmm. So she gets to the police station. Soon her ex-husband arrives. The news, the police found a bag. It was Ellie's bag. Inside were essentials and a passport. Hannah's passport, Ellie's older sister, which everyone thought Hannah lost like some time ago. And so the police have a theory. Ellie was a runaway. <laughs> they just put putting stuff together from TV shows they didn't watch. Listen, <laughs> Ellie was a runaway on her way to Europe. Mm-hmm. They live in London, so this ain't too crazy. Um, and it makes no sense. They were trying to fit the narrative that was easiest for them. However, Laurel remembers that four years after Ellie went missing, their home was burglarized. The robbery felt strangely fami- familiar to Laurel. Like she felt that when she entered the house before she even knew she was robbed, she felt like Ellie had been here. Mm-hmm. There were expensive candlesticks missing, an expensive uh, wedding gift that Ellie would have known everyone wouldn't miss. So the mom is like, maybe you stole the candlesticks because you needed money and you knew we wouldn't care. Also, a slice of cake. <laughs> like, why uh, would wait, you wait. take Wait, wait, I thought cake? it was the whole cake because I was like, um, <laughs> a whole cake? Like, who busts into a house and takes cake? She's Ooh, like, this is obviously Ellie. <laughs> Who does um, that? <laughs> but why? Like her mom is like, it must have been her, but why? So anyway, let's have another flashback. So Ellie runs to no- runs into Noel on the street after um, her tutor lessons have been canceled. They make small talk. And then Noel tells Ellie that she has a practice paper that some have even said um, the, the questions on that practice paper transfer to the same questions on this year's big test. So if you want a copy, I could probably give you one, even though you canceled your lessons. You know, you're smart anyway. This will just help you ensure you'll pass with flying colors. And Ellie thought to herself for a brief moment to scream no. I don't want anything from you, Noel. But she didn't. She said, okay, fine. Sure. Thanks. So Noel, Noel invited her to pop by Noel's house, pick up a copy of the practice test. It was just around the corner, Noel's house was. And no one saw Ellie walk through the door of Noel's house. No one heard the door close behind her. Back to the present. A partial body was found. Paul and Laurel buried what remained of their daughter, Mm. a victim of a hit and run. Perhaps she was a hitchhiker, police reasoned. The body, the rest of it was then dragged to the woods and left for the animals. And the animals came around and picked at it. And it was just, that's her daughter. That's how her daughter ended. That is a terrible story. A terrible story. Can I just say that? For sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. A month after Ellie's funeral, Laurel met Floyd. Part three, Pink Floyd. Laurel is at a coffee shop when a man walks in looking like the best parts of her ex-husband. She like, I forgot I even liked that about my man back in the day. Oh, what what is that? Ted Baker? Mm, Paul Smith? (laughs) Yes. And her emotions about Paul, her ex-husband, are kind of conflicted at the that right now because she sees he was a great man they just wasn't great together stuff like that and then the best parts of him walk through the door the She's man who like, walks okay boom <laughs> <laughs> the, 
The man who walks in looks to be full of personality, not traditionally handsome, but handsome. You know what I mean? Like, you know how we, we are as women. We'd be like, oh, you, you a hot kind of ugly. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's something. So, but it is something about the way a man dresses that makes him more handsome. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yes, of course, right, right, right. <laughs> so, go ahead. Uh, the, the guy that walks in chooses the table closest to Laurel. Uh, Laurel doesn't want any attention, but she can feel some instant like radiation off of this man that's like connecting her to him. Boy. And then he speaks. <laughs> he speaks, and he's like. You have beautiful hair. She just came from the salon. <laughs> they end up sharing a slice of carrot cake, girl. And Laurel feels something deep within her open up. Something like hope. He has a 21-year-old daughter that lives with her mom. He has a nine-year-old daughter that lives with him. It's complicated. His name is Floyd Dunn. He is the son of ambitious Americans who chased money all around the world. His parents have went back to the States. He stayed here in London. He's got a British passport, a British ex-wife, and he jokes that he's fully British assimilated. (laughs) (laughs) And Laurel can't find one thing wrong with him. Part four, the first date. All right. So they like made a connection at the coffee shop. And then before their first date, Ellie tells her mom to have fun. You deserve it, mom. Of course, Ellie is only talking to Laurel in Laurel's head because Ellie is gone and now buried. Who who Laurel is actually talking to is Hannah. Hannah's like, ugh. <laughs> stop stop calling me mom go clean my house <laughs> I don't want to hear about your dates oh, she is so annoyed with her mom like, we didn't okay. talk about this but when the baby went missing um, like hours had gone by police were in and out and Hannah sat at the kitchen table and was like mom I'm hungry and then um, Laurel looked at the clock and was like oh of course you are and she put together something for Hannah to eat not the lasagna, beans on toast. I'll never forget because it sounds English. And so as she's watching her daughter eat, you remember what Laurel thinks to herself? No, 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 I don't remember. It should have been you missing. Yes, I remember that. I was I was like, wow, isn't that insane though? So, but those are those kind of like, ooh, I could see It's not completely monstrous for a parent to have this terrible thought, I don't think. Uh, Hannah is her difficult child. Hannah is her difficult child. She would rather neither of her children go missing. But if one of them is going to go missing, you want it to be the difficult one, not (laughs) your soulmate. (laughs) Listen, if my mother decided that one of her children, I wish it was you that went missing. Well, when you put it like that. Yeah, Laurel, you kind of crazy. That's insane. That's really terrible. Utterly insane. I would feel <laughs> some type of way for my sister. Of course. For your sister, because you know it wouldn't be you. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I'm the firstborn. It can't be me, so that <laughs> was special. so laurel takes the first steps toward her future okay she's always been beautiful as we alluded to um she keeps up her appearance but she hasn't been in a place to date you know she hasn't been there since her daughter um went missing not until now 
So they make small talk over the table, Laurel and Floyd. And like Laurel, Floyd has a closer relationship with his youngest daughter, Poppy, than he does his older daughter. The older daughter is difficult to him. Uh, They have different moms, by the way, Poppy and the older daughter, Sarah. Poppy was an accident. He tried a relationship with her mom, but the mom was messed up. And one day she vanished and left Poppy with Floyd. Do you ever think she's dead? Poppy's mom, Laurel asks, and immediately she regrets even asking that. But, you know, poor Laurel has a lot of hurt in her heart. And she's like, you know, she's missing. And when she hears about people going missing, she's like, are they dead? Laurel does. So when Floyd says Poppy's mom is missing, she's like, well, maybe she's dead. And Floyd responds, who knows? (laughs) Mm. So maybe Mm. it doesn't take long for the two of them to bond mentally. He's like patient and perfect. He's brilliant. And they have these really wonderful conversations. Um, She even finds it hard to like be separate from him. You know, when you first make a connection with someone and they're all you think about and she's out with her kind of friends and she's thinking about Floyd and she's talking (laughs) to Hannah and she's like, why aren't you Floyd? Because I'd rather talk to him. Oddly enough, meeting Floyd makes her want to talk to Paul, her ex-husband, because she wants to tell someone that's close to her about this someone she's found, you know? And that was the last person close to her was her ex-husband. But that's crazy. So she tells her mom. Now, Laurel's mom is in a care home. It's hard for her to communicate. But when she hears that Laurel's found someone, she tells her daughter to call him. So it's hard for Laurel's mom to even speak. But once Laurel's like, mom, I found someone, she's like, you call him. And her mom um, obviously has been waiting for Laurel to like settle and be happy again before dying. Before her mom dies, she wants to see her daughter settled and happy. So at her mother's advice, Laurel calls him. Now their second date, he makes a confession. I Googled you and I know about Ellie. He can't imagine the pain she's been through, especially thinking of his poppy. They talk about it and it's kind of like a relief for Laurel to share this part of herself with him. That night, she stays at Floyd's place and wakes up to a surprise she couldn't have imagined in a million years. A little girl meets her outside of Floyd's bedroom door. A girl who is nearly in every way identical to Ellie. The girl is polite, social, intelligent, and basically has Ellie's entire face. Laurel lets loose a laugh that's too high and loud because she's like in shock. She runs to the restroom and crosses Floyd in the hallway who makes his way to the kitchen. Poppy doesn't have friends her own age. Um, Like I said, she's homeschool. In fact, she really doesn't even have friends. No other family, no other human connection (laughs) besides her dad. And she thinks friends her own age are stupid anyway, so... Exactly. So she feels like she's too smart for kids her own age. And maybe she is because she spends all her time with like us, um, you know. Yeah. Very studious adults. Well, an adult. So um, Laurel sees in this little girl right away that she needs a mother. That's what Laurel's thought is. And something about the situation both eases Laurel and makes her feel like something's wrong. Part five, getting the family together. So (laughs) Laurel shares a birthday with her oldest daughter Like they were both born on the same day of the year And they usually celebrate it as a family Or at least they did while Ellie was alive 
Um, so this year she wants to do that again for the first time in the long time. She wants her ex-husband, his new girlfriend, her son and his girlfriend, her oldest daughter and the boyfriend she's been hiding, which Laurel is pretty sure her oldest daughter has been hiding a boyfriend. She wants them all together to celebrate each other and to just love up on each other. And then this, this is the first gathering that they've had since they buried um, Ellie's Ellie. bones, right? Yeah, even before then, because remember, they didn't find Ellie's bones until 10 years after Ellie died. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, Ellie went missing. So it's been years and years and years since they've done anything as a unit, as a family. So they will have this family dinner and there will be some additions. Floyd's going to be there along with Poppy. So they schedule the evening as a family. Laurel, in the meantime, is getting closer to Poppy, especially at Floyd's urging. You know, he wants them to be friends. He wants her to be like a pseudo mom, it seems, since he doesn't know where her mom is. And Poppy confesses to Laurel privately that she hated her mother. You know, she's glad she's with her dad. It's like her mother never existed. That's kind of startling to Laura. Yeah. And Poppy's like, well, I barely remember her. All I know is that she smelled of chips. Like she was stinky (laughs) and her hair was red and she was stinky. (laughs) So Poppy's very excited to meet Laurel's family because this is like a family unit like you see in television and read about in books. And she wants to experience that at the dinner that they're all going to have. So the night of the family dinner, a waiter brings champagne to the table and no one stands to make a toast because no one's like, everyone's like, who should do it? Usually it'd be dad, but with Floyd here, should Floyd do it? And then everyone is surprised when one little girl stands up and clinks her glass. She grips her half glass of champagne between her hands and looks around the table from person to person, her focus not wavering. I've only known Laurel for a couple of weeks, she begins, perfect diction, unerring poise. But in that time, I've got to know her well enough to consider her to be a true and beautiful friend. She's so kind and so generous, and my father and I are so lucky to have her in our life. And now I can see that she is not the only lovely person in her family. I know I've only just met you all, but I can feel how much you all love each other and I feel honored to be a part of all of this. To Laro, she raises her glass, and to Hannah, and to happy families. There's a brittle silence, just long enough to acknowledge the strangeness of Poppy's pitch-perfect speech, the irony of her comment about happy families before everyone else raises their glasses and says, to Hannah, to Laro, happy birthday. Paul catches Laurel's eye from the other end of the table and throws her a conspiratorial what-the-heck look. She smiles tightly at him. She wants to join in with his wry judging, but she feels strangely loyal to Poppy. She's young. She has no mother. She doesn't go to school. She doesn't know. So Paul hands Laurel a gift. It's a book. Laurel thanks him, but thinks of how she hasn't read a book in 10 years. You know, that's hinting to she hasn't read a book since Ellie left, since Ellie went missing. Poppy sees the book as Paul hands it to Laurel and gets excited because she's read that book and she starts (laughs) telling them all about it. And she's like, I read two books a week. And everyone (laughs) thinks or at least Paul and Laurel thinks "Mm, just like Ellie used to. 
Okay. Funny, you found yourself a lookalike family, Paul says, jokingly. Like, he's like, that little girl reminds me, too, of our little girl. He sees the resemblance. Part six, teach thyself. So back at Floyd's, Laurel sees a letter addressed to someone named Noelle. She knows that name, but can't remember how. Hmm, Noelle, Noelle. She's like hmm. piecing it over in her mind. Do you know that name, Alexis? Yes, apparently mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is the tutor's name. <laughs> that was the math tutor's name. And now a letter addressed to the math tutor is at her new boyfriend's house, at Floyd's house. Later, Laurel notices that same letter with return to sender scrawled on it, the envelope. Was this Noelle's, was Noelle Poppy's mom? You know, that's what Laurel's thinking. She can't quite remember the tutor part yet, but she's like, maybe Noelle is the name of Poppy's mom. Maybe someone told me that once. Maybe that's how I remember the name Noelle. So she asked Floyd, who confirms, yeah, that's Poppy's mom. And she also taught neighborhood kids math. And then it clicks. Noelle must have been Ellie's tutor right before she went missing. Yeah, yeah, she hated that tutor. Hannah says <laughs> and Ellie, uh, Laurel's like are you sure because I think Ellie really like and I think I would know yeah because you know, Ellie was my soulmate right she like and I Hannah's know like, better than you child um that was my best friend not yeah. yours y'all didn't even like each other because she was too perfect <laughs> and Hannah's like listen I don't even really care I'm just telling you she didn't really like that too exactly. okay and, Han- and Laurel's like, well, Hannah didn't really know my Ellie anyway. <laughs> um, however, Hannah has now met Floyd and little Poppy. And she's like, I like him, mom. Um, I hope this works out for you because I want you to be happy because you deserve it. And coming from Hannah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. However, Laurel soon gets a call from Jack and his girlfriend, Blue, not Blue Ivy. Basically, <sighs> they feel like Floyd gives off evil vibes. <laughs> They like, I don't know, but his auras and his vibes is weird. Okay. And Laurel's like, I don't believe in that hoo juju. So you can keep all that negativity <laughs> over there. And the call is so unexpected. And so like against how Laurel is feeling and how everyone else who's praised Floyd feels that Laurel returns their concern with harsh unkindness. She is also like annoyed by the sensitivity of her son because she's like, you just letting that girl make you believe in anything. And also, why are you so whiny in your voice, son? (laughs) My son is whiny and I don't like it. (laughs) Click. Bye. But at the same time, at this point, we know about Laurel that she's always wanted to cuddle Hannah. But Hannah is not sensitive. So you see how Laurel just can never be satisfied with people's inherent traits. Um, She always wants something that they can't give. Anyway, eventually Laurel finds herself needing to read Ellie's diaries, a practice she used to keep to feel like closer to her missing daughter. Most of the entries are about Theo, Ellie's boyfriend. He was like this benchmark against which Ellie compared everything she did because he was so perfect. Um, But then there are a few about the tutor, Noelle. She was starting to seem creepy to Ellie. And she smelled funny. And Ellie was sure that Noelle was a bunny boiler, a term used for a woman who becomes obsessive over a man, uh, tries to control him and goes crazy uh, with her fatal attraction. Ellie 
asked to end her tutor sessions and that was it. Laurel closes the diary and tries to think. She like closes her eyes really tight and she's like, what is in here? What did I just read? And what are those words pointing me to? She's thinking, she's thinking. Now let's talk about Floyd and Noel. Let's go to a flashback. So they met, (laughs) they met at a math book signing. He was spending time with her to be nice, he says. You know, she obviously was needy. You know, he was this big math author and she fell in love with him or she was crazy about him and he was spending time with her and then they just fell into an intimate relationship and he paid for that decision for the rest of his life. Well, for years, because he really loves Poppy, but that's how that came about. And a little bit about Sarah. So Sarah is Floyd's oldest daughter. Um, Sarah has implied that she needs to talk to Laurel privately. And um, by the way, Sarah's like kind of a mess too. She's seeing a man that's basically married with kids. I think she's a nude model. Um, She's just, She's just need. She's in need of some direction. And Laurel is trying to be a pseudo mom to her also. Again, this is Floyd's older daughter. So he's got two daughters, Poppy, the youngest, who he loves, and Sarah, who lives with her mom, who's a little difficult for him, but he loves her too. Anyway, uh, they meet privately, Laurel and Sarah. And Sarah lets her know, oh, yeah, um, I Googled you also. I learned about Ellie's case. And there are some things that don't sit well with me. First of all, her bag had all the stuff she had left the house with 10 years ago. That don't make sense. I mean, she wasn't a runaway, so. Yeah, don't you think that looked a little staged? I don't know. Also, how is it that you're dating my dad who dated Poppy's mom, Noelle, and that same Noelle tutored Yo, daughter that went missing? Like, that's all a coincidence I don't like. It's weird. Also, um, mm, when I was young, Noelle would sometimes come to my dad's house, of course, when they was dating. And she was really mean to me. And also, most shockingly, I remember being terrified of Poppy because I thought she was a robot. And Laurel's <laughs> like, because to Laurel, um, Sarah reminds Laurel of Hannah. And Poppy reminds Laurel of Ellie. Mm -hmm. So um, right away, Laurel's like, oh, were you just jealous of the baby? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A whole baby. (laughs) And Sarah's like, "Mm, I don't think I was jealous (laughs) of the infant. Um, I just thought she wasn't real. And then Laurel's like, what do you mean not real? Well, there was this like event. Okay. I'm not sure if I imagined it again. I was young, but I remember looking through the door of my dad's bedroom when Noelle was eight months pregnant. Noelle was naked and there was no bump. She was in there alone in the bedroom, naked, getting dressed or something. And there was no bump. And then this was this baby. And I was like, this is weird. Okay, bye. Gotta go be nude. (laughs) <laughs> Part seven A. <laughs> I'm almost done, you guys. Okay. So part seven A. Noel in her own words. Now we get the most difficult part of the book for me to digest. Noel is just talking to us. She's not writing in a diary. She's actually talking to Floyd, but he ain't around to listen. 
So I don't really know who she's talking to. So usually people try in a sophisticated way to, in another book, this would be a part where a main character found Noelle's diary and then we all read it together. The author did not do this and we'll talk about it just a little bit. Instead, she just had the people talking to the other characters who ain't listening to them. I don't know. It's confusing. Y'all read the book. Y'all know. So now we got Noelle just talking into space. Right, Alexis? Exactly. I kept checking to say, but did they say this was, um, hmm, okay. Huh. So she begins, hey, y'all, my name is Noelle Donnelly and I did something bad. Oh, Okay. So now Noelle, Noelle grew up in a harsh conservative home. You can tell by her name. She was born around Christmas. They, her whole family says she ruined Christmas for everyone that year. <laughs> and then they named her Noelle. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Her parents even had separate bedrooms growing up. You can, This was not a touchy feely family. And then the favorite si- daughter, her sister, died of cancer. That sister was everyone's favorite. And Noelle was forever in her shadow. The family was studious, well read. You know, they listened to the List Society podcast. They went Get to the best it. schools. Get into it. <laughs> No one ever told her she was pretty in her life. She kissed a boy once as a kid, but nothing ever came later. And then time went by. The years went by. Decades went by. She was more than a virgin at her, what, 40 years of age. She Mm -hmm. was never even shown attention by people, let alone men. Right. And so this left her deeply lonely. It's it's it was more than just not being touched. It was not being recognized, acknowledged or are considered at all by anyone ever. So um, she read this book one day that really felt like it spoke to the inner parts of her, her mind, herself. And it was called Bad at Math. Noelle was devoted to math. And the one who wrote this book had her heart. It was like a book for people who are bad at math, trying to simplify the concepts, larger concepts within mathematics for laymen. And she just loved it. So she got dressed up and went to a book signing. There was no one there. The author signed it. You know, no one else there but her to get her book signed. And she brought her heavily used copy of the book and he signed it. She arranged to conveniently meet him near his home. Like she was like, she had looked him up, everything about him. And she was like, where do you stay? Like she didn't know. So she's definitely a bunny Broker, boiler, boiler. boiler. <laughs> <laughs> so she would like show up to the supermarket hoping to see him. And then one day she did. And it was like this planned coincidence. Okay. A week later, another accidental meeting and fun banter between them. Then another. Then he invited her to dinner. And it was clear he was like, his ego was hurt because no one wanted them to sign his book except her and like 10 other people something. And he's, he's not doing well in his career. Bad at math was the only bestseller he's ever written. Um, even to this day. But anyway, so he invites her to dinner. She's giving him all the attention he craves. Uh, then they become intimate. They never talked about love. It was clear what their relationship was about. Exclusively physical. But she loved him. She met Sarah soon who's the the daughter. 
She extended her hand to the little girl and the girl took off running in tears. <laughs> As Floyd ran to console his daughter, Noelle looked at herself in the mirror. She saw her age. She saw her puffy eyes. She saw nothing worth loving. And she thought to herself, how can I ever love this child, this Sarah, this little snot that made me hate myself anew? You know, I'm always hating myself. I thought I found someone who accepted me, who could see me. And then his little girl reminded me that I'm nobody worth seeing. Mm. So I'll never like her. I, I'll hate her guts forever. Good grief. So she could never be kind to that little girl. She was honestly a difficult child, though, Sarah was. And then Noelle and Floyd began bonding over venting about how bad Sarah was. <laughs> <laughs> and then one night in his Ooh. stupidity, Noelle uh, or Floyd takes Noelle's hands, both of her hands into his and says, maybe if we had a child, it would like me. Mm. Just a little, you know, side conversation, side comment. Why did he do that, Alexis? Uh-huh. Center on a path. <laughs> Part eight A. <laughs> Finding Noel. I promise you. B. I don't know. Y'all don't pay attention to these parts. <laughs> I was just trying to break it up. Okay, okay, okay. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Laurel, Laurel, Laurel is hunting down Noel's next of kin, a nephew named Joshua. He and his brother live in the family home once occupied by Noel. So Noel is missing, but her kin still live there, her her nephew. It's an unkept, rundown home. Um, they keep it as just as she left it, just in case she comes back one day. And come to find out, he's actually never even met his aunt. They're all, they've also never met Poppy. And he's like, that's a shame because we got a cousin at her age and they could be friends, but we never met her. We heard that Noel, um, you know, went to this big school, uh, was dating this big time writer, living it up, had a baby. And she kind of kept the family at arm's distance or more than arm's length away. Noel's been missing for years, but has never come for her things, never used her passport. It's really weird. This is Joshua talking to Laurel. Laurel. He's really open and personable. Um, then it's another thing. And Joshua looks at Laurel. And he's like, you want to call someone and tell them you here in this house with me? Because I'm about to show you something real creepy. And that if I was you, I'd call insane, the police. What you want to do? What would you have done? Alexis? I was like, hmm. I Hold on. Just hold on a second. Beep, 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 beep. I would be calling somebody. I was like, don't even worry about it because I didn't download the tracking app. So all my friends know before where I, I is. I got here because I before, saw the house. Please. Okay. When I saw how your shrubs was kept, I knew this house was going to be stanking and creepy. Exactly. So anyway, so anyway uh, not Laurel, though. She's like, I'm fine. You know, I trust you, Joshua. You seem like a nice guy. And so he's like, okay. And so they go into the basement, just Joshua and Laurel. And Joshua has something to show her. Uh, in the basement, there's like this heavy pine furniture, a sofa bed, and stacked hamster cages. When Joshua arrived, there were tons of hamsters in these cages, dead. Some of them have, had even eaten each other because that no one was feeding them, no one was caring for them. He's like, 
man, my auntie was messed up, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what he wanted to show her, the hamster cages and how weird the room was. And Laurel's looking around and she's like, she didn't have any friends, right? He's like, I don't think so. And so Laurel's like, but so why would she need a sofa bed in this spare room? Like, it's not a homey room. Why is there a TV in here? And dead hamsters. Like, what is this? This is weird. Mm-hmm. And then something catches Laurel's eye, like the corner of Laurel's eye. It's lip balm. It's like them lip glosses me and your sister used to collect. Mm-hmm. That's what they made <laughs> and me think of. <laughs> <laughs> lip smackers. So it's watermelon flavor. And Laurel just, you know, mindlessly picks it up. For some reason, she feels like it belongs to her. She's shaking on the way home. And when she gets home, she goes through Ellie's old things. Among them are lip glosses, a full set, save for one the watermelon flavor that she just found in Noel's basement. Part 7B. I promise you. Why not we just on 8A? What is Come this numbering we... system you have? <laughs> yeah. Noel, we flashing back again to Noel and Floyd, okay? Noel in her own words. Noel gets pregnant. She thought she was too old to get pregnant. They're both happy. But hurtfully, Floyd tells her one day, you know, I can't ask you to live with me. And Noah's like, oh, yeah, no, sure. No problem. Yikes. But she's devastated inside. And also like, where did that come from? Okay. I mean, why did he say that? That was just like, <laughs> I'm pregnant. You can't come live with me. You know, OK, that's great. I can't wait. You know, you can't live with me. Right. So um, she's thinking Awful. you'll change your mind. <laughs> She's like, you'll change your mind. They start visiting the doctor together, holding hands until one visit. There was no heartbeat. And he like let her hand go. And then he sighed in a way that wasn't even sad. She said it sounded like a sigh of annoyance. It seemed to say you couldn't even do this right. Mm. She overstayed her welcome in his life. And that was um, their chance. Like the baby, losing the baby was their chance to walk away from each other forever. But he wasn't strong enough to push her. And she loved him so much. She was just going to stick around. So they slipped back into their old habits. Noelle became pregnant again, but didn't tell Floyd this time. She scheduled her first doctor's appointment, but never made it. The baby died inside of her before her first appointment. And it was that day, Floyd. It was that very day that I first went to the home of Ellie Mack. The same day your baby died inside me. I had to slap on a smile and a friendly disposition and sit in the room with a spoiled pretty girl and a hairy cat surrounded by the paraphernalia of family life, the photos and the kicked off shoes and the trashy paperbacks and the furniture all from Habitat and Doubt. And I had to teach this spoiled pretty girl with a brain too big for her own good who already knew everything she needed to know when what I really wanted to do was sob and say, today I lost another baby. But I did not, know. I drank her mother's lovely tea from a mug with the words, keep calm and clean my kitchen on it. I ate her nice chocolate chip biscuits made by Prince Charles himself. I taught her daughter a good lesson. I worked hard for my 35 pounds. I felt calm when I left Ellie Mack's house that evening. I walked the half mile home and it was a cold, sharp evening with drops of ice in the air that stung the backs of my hands. I walked slowly, relishing the darkness and the pain. And as I walked, I felt this certainty build within me, a certainty that somehow it was all connected. The gone baby and the spoiled girl, that there was a completion and that maybe one thing balanced out the other. I got home and I didn't call you 
or look at my phone to see if you had called me. I watched a TV show and I cut my toenails. I drank a glass of wine. I had a long, long bath. I let the water rush up between my legs, washing away the last traces of your baby. And I thought of the girl called Ellie Mack and of her big brain and her perfect features, the honey of her hair tied so carelessly into a top knot, the socked feet tucked beneath her and elegant hands folded into her sleeves, the smell of her, of apples and toothpaste, of clean hair and girl, the keenness to learn, her gentleness, her perfection. She had a glow about her, a circle of light. I bet she never told her parents she hated them. I bet she never spat at them or pinched them or threw her food across the room. She was quite, quite lovely and quite, quite brilliant. And I have to confess, I became more than a little obsessed. The afternoon spent tutoring Ellie became a cocoon for um, Noelle, a cocoon from the world and from herself, because the last place Noelle needed to be was with herself. Then she meets Theo, the boyfriend. What a beautiful perfect couple they seem with beautiful perfect children these two kids would have noel thought and that was the start of it that one thought then came the phone call from ellie's mom and noel's tuesdays were suddenly snatched from her ellie's lessons would be terminated for a couple weeks noel like swam in depression then she began thinking fondly nostalgically of her old tuesdays then she began stalking ellie she didn't even know why at first she just wanted a glimpse of that golden girl from the perfect home noel longed to be recognized by ellie then suddenly they were face to face on the street and ellie didn't even recognize her at first Part 8B, Finding <laughs> Noel. So now we back with Laurel. Please, somebody Floyd. say something about this numbering system. Please, please. <laughs> Floyd is like, it's Saturday. I go see my financial advisor every Saturday. So can you watch Poppy today? And so Laurel's like, great. I love Poppy. Also, I want to secretly take her to this ha- creepy house to see if she remembers <laughs> everything. I might traumatize her, but I need to know. I need to know about this house. So Laurel is like, hey, Poppy, you want to go get tea? And Poppy's like, I sure do. So they go get tea and then um, they go to the home once owned or once uh, occupied by Noel. During a tour of the house, Joshua um, shows Poppy a room and Poppy freezes. So first there's this room with this creepy wallpaper and Poppy's like, I remember this. This used to be my bedroom. And then um, they're still touring the house. And then the girl just freezes. Um, She's like, I wasn't supposed to ever go there. So don't try to take me there. And where is there? That room. The the basement door. door. So in the kitchen is a basement door. And Poppy sees it and then heads to the front door. She's like, I'm out of here. Bye. I don't even know I'm supposed to be here. (laughs) This don't feel right. This don't feel mm -mm. right. She's like, there's a monster down there or something. I can't remember. It's something crazy. So another day while walking, this is a side note. Laurel sees a really good looking man in his 20s. And she's like, wow, he's gorgeous. But that's not why I remember him. Oh, he's Theo. He was my Ellie's Theo. So the man doesn't see her, but she's watching him. Then a woman walks out of the store that he's in front of um, smiling. The woman bends down and pets Theo's dog and the couple continue down the street, happy together, just looking beautiful, glistening, happy. 
It was the smile that threw her off. Laurel hadn't seen Hannah smile like that in a long time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you saying (laughs) that Hannah is dating Ellie's ex-boyfriend. Ellie's ex-boyfriend. How do you feel about that? (sighs) On TV, it seems normal that that's what happens after... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your boyfriend, your, um, you know, somebody. Can I remind you that he extra fine? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so it was and easy. Kind. It would have been easy to do. Girl, yeah. She mm-hmm. might not get sick. She okay. probably went and checked on him. Let alone right? missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, Hannah done made her sister disappear somehow. <laughs> but no, that's not what happened. So <laughs> one day Floyd is explaining the state. Uh, Poppy was in when her mother left the baby with him. She smelled the little girl did. She looked like an animal that had never been cared for. <laughs> and, and neither of them knew, the neither the baby nor him knew that Noel was never coming back. It's odd to say, but Poppy is better this way. And when they're done talking, Laurel goes to Poppy's room and sees something that stops her cold. Do you remember what it is, Alexis? Candles. The two candles, okay? Two candlesticks stolen four years after her daughter went missing. Not light of teas. <laughs> Not light of teas. Luxury soy candles available on <laughs> www.lovelightofteas.com. That's L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S.com. Not those. Not those. <laughs> I just want to interject that there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so have you figured out what's happened yet? So I, I actually, I like think I do, but I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same here. So I'm like, he has obviously kidnapped Ellie. I'm trying to put it together in my mind. The point is, y'all, I'm wrong about all of it because the ending, I don't, I couldn't guess. Yeah. So the ending, I didn't guess either. But I didn't think it was him. I kind of thought they were in it together. Okay, I can see that too. I can see that too. So do I continue? Maybe yeah, a little more? it's old. So continue. Okay, should I completely spoil the book, Alexis? Spoil the book. Here spoil we the go. Book. Spoil now, the book. <laughs> y'all have Alexis to thank because I was reading this book and I was like, it's no way I'm going to spoil this for the readers. I'm going to leave it on a cliffhanger. As we did with his only wife, we got a lot of hate mail. Yeah, a lot. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you know what I say to that? Read the book. <laughs> 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 but Alexis said y'all have had time to read the book, so we are going to spoil it uh, now. Part 7C, Noel in her own words. <laughs> the, kind, the numbering system. The numbering system. Oh, get, get, get your popcorn. <laughs> Listen. So remember how I said um, they ran into each other on the street, Noel and Ellie? Yeah. Well, listen, she invited Ellie inside and went to grab her a drink while she, quote unquote, searched for that practice paper that was going to help her pass the test. Right. Mm -hmm. So Ellie is like, thank you for the drink. When she awoke, it was like 12 hours later. So Noelle had poisoned the baby, the 15 year old baby. Um, And when she awoke, 
Noelle is talking to her, apologizing, saying, in time, I hope you understand. It was 11 p.m. Again, she'd been out for 12 hours. She was in a small room and her first words were, my mom. Don't worry about mom. She probably just thinks you're with that boy of yours, says Noelle. And then Ellie's heart begins to ache for her mom. And she remembers these words. Um, Her mom used to tell her about the love that they shared and how it can be physically painful. And that's what she feels in this moment. Mm. Um, then Noelle pulls her onto a bed, a bed in the basement. Noelle adjusts the pillow behind the girl's head and leaves her alone in the final room she'd ever see. I want to go home. Ellie screams. She wrote help and Ellie in the dirt near the basement window. Days pass, nights pass. When left alone, Ellie would scream and bang on the windows. One day, Noelle has a gift for Ellie. Ellie opens the box and inside are what, Alexis? Hamsters. 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 Can you believe that? Hamsters that Ellie never wanted or asked for. And Noelle insists that she should be grateful. The hamsters would later breed uncontrollably. There would eventually be 20 cages with 12 hamsters each. Oh, my gosh. Noelle would slap Ellie when she begged to go home. She told Ellie, the news says you must be a runaway. Couldn't handle the end of year tests at school. And Ellie's like, that's not true. Who said that? Noelle's like, I think it was your mama. (laughs) (laughs) And Ellie's like, what? My soulmate. Then Noelle begins bragging about her boyfriend. She's like, I bet you didn't know I have a boyfriend too. And Ellie's like, I really just want to go home. Slap. That was a hard In those moments, in those moments when she was bragging, Noelle was in a good mood. And she even brought Ellie books to read. She's like, here you go, little prisoner. Here's some books. Then... Time passes and Ellie has a strange feeling that something has happened. Time passes, seasons change, the nights get longer. Then one day, Ellie feels a strange sensation in her back, like she was laying on a hamster, but nothing was behind her. The feeling was inside of her and Ellie didn't feel alone in that room anymore. I couldn't have a baby, Noelle told her, and that's why I chose you. At first, Noelle was attentive and kind, but then as the baby inside of Ellie grew bigger, she became angry and gave Ellie only junk food to eat, like toast and Oreos and jelly beans. And fried food. And fried food of different bland colors. Mm -hmm. Noelle told Floyd she was pregnant again. So outside of this, she would leave the basement, go to her quote unquote boyfriend, Floyd, And um, pretend with him that everything was normal. So when she told him she was pregnant again, he was distant. It didn't bring him closer to her. It was obvious he didn't really care about her or their upcoming baby. So when Ellie was eight months pregnant and Noel was pretending to be eight months pregnant, Floyd ended their relationship. He suggested they figure out how to live separately before the baby is born and then co-parent. Dang. Remember Sarah says she she saw that woman naked, didn't have no bump, and it was eight months, and she knew as a kid that ain't right. Dang. Listen, y'all. Of course, it was a home birth, and once the baby was born, Ellie was a burden in Noelle's eyes. 
There were so many infections at first. She would call for her mother incessantly to the point that when the baby turned five months old, Noelle shut the basement door and for a long, long time, she never opened it again. When the baby turned six months old, Noelle like got her hair done, put on her best outfit and went over to Floyd's with the baby and he fell in love with the child instantly. Can I hold her? He said, of course you can. She's your child after all. Noel pretended to have plans and fake friends and I got to go. Let me take just take the baby out your arms. <laughs> and Floyd is like, no, I love this child. And Noel knew she had Floyd exactly where she wanted him. Laying on the bed, aware that she'd been abandoned, Ellie's mind was sending her images. First her mother, then her family, her new baby, the baby she longed for. Then she started imagining the hamsters surrounding her, the filthy room she was in. Then she imagined her funeral. Then she imagined herself floating away from the filthy room that had become her final home. She floated and floated until she felt her mother's arms around her. What do you think of this way to describe Ellie dying? Oh, I thought it was very... um... I like the way it was described. I thought it was cleverly written. And I was like, oh, because the way Noel told it, it was just like blip. So to hear it then described in detail. Yeah. She eventually Mm -hmm. succumbed. And then to have it described in detail after that, I really I appreciated it. Yeah. So when Noelle's telling her story in her own words, she's like, yes, eventually the girl succumbed. It was better this way. <laughs> and moved on. But when the when the writer is describing it from um, Ellie's point of view, it is it's kind of beautiful. Mm-hmm. right? It is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. In a morbid way. So Noelle took the keys from the bag Ellie had when she first um, abducted her, broke into Ellie's family home, stole the things that looked like items Ellie would steal, the cake, the candlesticks, her sister's passport. And that's what kind of threw the police off. A neighbor did visit about the smell in the basement. Um, And so Noelle's like, things are getting dangerous. So she took Ellie's body, uh, hit it with a car to make it look like it was a hit and run and then left it in the woods. And that idea, again, was that a hit and run. Someone left her in the woods and the police seemed to believe it. They were eating up whatever Noel was serving them. I'm concerned about these police officers. I mean, then Poppy took Floyd's heart and they formed a team. So Noel had, quote unquote, had this baby to bring the man to her. But then the baby and the man form a team and they both hate Noel. <laughs> So the girl, (laughs) in Noelle's eyes, the girl would act like an animal when they were alone, just Noelle and and Poppy, but then a perfect doll with her father. He started calling her my mini me, like Noelle had nothing to do with the making of her, which she didn't, but he didn't know that. You had no idea what I've done to get that child for you, Noelle thought. Exasperated with the child's demands, Noelle went to the market one day without her. And while she was gone, just 10 minutes, the child fell and got a black eye. And so when she brought the child to her quote unquote father's house, to Floyd's house with a black eye, he he told Noelle, look, that's it. And Noelle knew right away what he was saying. Um, That's when Noelle decided to flee to Ireland with the baby. Because that's where her family was from. She was like, I'll show him. Not because I like this baby, because I hate kids. However, I just don't want him to be happy with the baby. 
crazy. But he was on to her. She came one day to pick up the child and Floyd was waiting. She doesn't like the way you smell, he said. That's what she told me. And that shows a lack of bonding between the mother and the child. A child shouldn't be able to tell between their smell and the smell of their mother. Wow. You're not a fit mother. You're not a fit mother. Then Noelle knew she had to hurt him too. And this is a quote. What makes you so sure she's your child, Floyd? Did you never wonder why she looks so little like either of us? And then Noelle says to no one, <laughs> your face was worth the horror of me showing myself to you. It really was. She doesn't belong to either of us, Floyd, I said, feeling the twist of my words into your heart. I made her for you with another woman's womb and another man's sperm. The words were falling from me uncontrollably. I'd nothing left to lose. She's a Frankenstein monster, Floyd. That child you so adore. She's barely human, in fact. Dang. Yikes. No, I thought that was good. Yikes. I'm not on Noel's side, but mm, <laughs> way to get him. <laughs> and now for our final part. Part eight, finding Noel. I, I mean, I thought we was on part 12. <laughs> oh, part eight C. <laughs> This is ridiculous. But this is it, y'all. This is it. I'm going to sum it up. Okay. So Laurel has this thought, right? Why would Theo settle for Hannah? Remember, uh, Laurel just watched Theo and Hannah leave a store. (laughs) And so Laurel's like, why would Theo settle for Hannah? He was Ellie's Theo. Why settle for a consolation prize? so crazy. She talking about her own daughter. (laughs) But then she thinks back to that smiling girl that came out of the store and petted Theo's dog. Then she has another thought. You know, maybe Hannah isn't intrinsically unkind or cold. Maybe she just hates me. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a bad mom. So Laurel calls Paul, her ex-husband, and Paul's like, no, you're not a bad mom. It's just um, when when we all lost Ellie, we all lost you, too. So there's some forgiveness that's needed. You know, Hannah has to forgive you and you have to forgive her. She just wanted a mom. So Laurel calls Hannah and leaves a message. And I want to read this. It's a she says um, on her voicemail. I just want to say, I'm so proud of you. You are the most extraordinary girl in the world. And I'm so lucky to have you in my life. And I also wanted to say that I'm sorry. So sorry. If anything's ever, if I've ever done anything to make you feel less than the center of my world, because you are, you are absolutely the center of my world. And I could not live without you. And she draws a breath slightly. I wanted to say that I saw you the other day. I saw you with Theo. And I think it's wonderful. And I think he's a very, very lucky man. A very lucky man indeed. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say. And I'm sorry I haven't said it before. And I love you. So it's really beautiful. (laughs) She calls her daughter and says all the words, you know, her daughter's been wanting to hear. And as these relationships are healing in Laurel's life, as she's putting back together these pieces, she's also rediscovering herself and something's becoming clear. She doesn't trust Floyd. So she goes to the house this whole time um, in their relationship. Things have been just so sickening sweet. 
Okay, he says things in poetic prose and she's not really about that. She's like, it's almost like you're acting. And as everything else is being cleared up in her life, she sees it now. She sees that Blue, her son's girlfriend, was right. Something's off about Floyd. But as she's seeing it in him, he's seeing it in her too. He's seeing that she's on to him. I see you see me. We see each other. I see you seeing me. See you. We see it each each other. So she goes to the house one day to Floyd's house and he's like, um, I'll be right back. There's a note for you on the counter. Um, Poppy is at a friend's house, I think, or something. I forget. She's in the but, house. Um, oh, no, she's in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you stay here? Because I got to make a run. That's what it is. And so Floyd leaves knowing that his girlfriend is not trusting him in the moment. And so she goes to the counter and there's a card there for her. And I forget what the card says, but it's basically like, I see you seeing me see you. And I know you don't trust me. So go upstairs and look at this video I prepared. (laughs) And in the video, he confesses to everything. And everything is this. One day he was watching the news and he saw her. That's when he got the idea in his head. He saw her and he saw Paul talking about their Ellie and he saw the surroundings of the investigation and he knew right away it was near Noel's home. Noel had come to his house to get their daughter and told him that the daughter was not his, that it wasn't hers or his, that she had bought semen online and impregnated a perfect child that didn't belong to either of them. And then like, I don't even know if she got as far to say what happened to Ellie, but before he was like choking her and she thought he was going to kill her. Noel did. And then she like bumped her head while he was choking her and she died. That means he killed her because he like <laughs> choked her to that yeah. bumped her head. Yeah. So he killed her. He killed her. He killed her. Very bad. Also, um, in the in the video, he's like, you know, the beautiful flowers in my front yard. Well, Noel's under there. <laughs> OK, <laughs> just so you know. But anyway, back to the news report. So I saw you on the news and I knew right away that it was your girl. I knew it. I knew in the photos that that was my poppy's mom. Your Ellie was my poppy's mom and my poppy wasn't even my poppy. And I knew it wasn't Noel's daughter, but I couldn't come to the term. I couldn't come to terms with the fact that this wasn't my daughter because she was the only good thing in my life. So I didn't get a paternity test, but I know it's not my little girl. And I believe Noel that she just purchased someone's essence online and impregnated your daughter. So I want you to know that I saw your husband and I decided to dress like him and to act like how a man you would be attracted to acts. And I knew we'd fall in love, but I, I knew I'd fall in love with you, but I can't believe that you fell for me. And every moment with you was a dream to me. Or or did, what did he say? Like turn himself in or make it right? No, he just said that he was going to go away. He didn't really, it could be okay. death for myself, but he wasn't very clear about it. Okay, so he makes it clear that he's going to go away forever. But he's glad that he was able to bring Poppy to her true family, to her grandmother. And then Poppy, in a very weird twist, is like, hi, um, I'm still in the house while Laurel's uh, watching this video. 
And so uh, she's like, oh, hey, Poppy. And Poppy's like, can you put a ponytail on my hair? Is my dad gone? And so Laurel's like, yeah, your dad's gone forever. And then she's like, okay, is this about what he told me last night? What did he tell you? He basically told me that he not my daddy and that you're my grandmother and that your daughter was my mom and now your daughter is dead. All this real heavy stuff. And Laurel's like, yep, all that's true, little girl. And Poppy's like, okay. Wow. The end. Exactly. (laughs) Epilogue. So a woman shows up to the police station in the epilogue and is like, here, this was a letter I found in a book that I bought at a bookstore. And in it, it's like in in the letter, it says, hi, my name is Ellie. I've been kidnapped by Noel. I love my mama. I love my family. I had a little girl. Um, if anyone ever finds this, this is my story. The real end. You ready to take a break? Yes, please. <laughs> OK, let's do it. Alexis, what did you think of And Then She Was Gone by Lisa Jewell? And would you recommend this book? Okay, so I did enjoy this book. I must say that I did enjoy this book. But when she was, when Noelle was telling the story, she liked telling the story from the grave, right? (laughs) No, not from the grave. It's literally, so reader, if you haven't read this book, there is a large chunk of Noelle just talking and she's addressing Floyd. She but, oh, is, maybe it is supposed to be Floyd. She is addressing Floyd. It's not written down. It's not her talking directly to him. She's just addressing him. Because the way she tells the story, she's like, I thought you were going to kill me. That was the end of it. So, so you got to suspend belief because it is. It is really her thoughts. It's like as if she's thinking all of this while she's alive to Floyd. And once she dies, her thoughts end. But it doesn't make sense in the context of a novel, right? Yeah. So I guess I didn't have a hard time with that. But I kept asking, who she... Did they describe what this is? Is this like a a diary? Like, what is this? So that was weird. And then when um, Floyd was talking, it was this very same thing. Because Floyd was talking to who? He was talking to Laurel, right? Exactly. Yes, but not talking to her. So the character is telling the story only to the reader, but addressing another character in the book. And it's not past their death. So it's not trying to be beyond the grave. Exactly. It's it's literally what they what they've done on a daily basis that no one else in the book would know. And so they're talking to us. They're talking to the reader, but addressing a character in the book. And I I don't like I don't like it. (laughs) I think it could have been more elegant. But this isn't my part. This is your part. Go ahead. So (laughs) I thought that was interesting. It didn't make me hate it, but and I could get along with it. But I think it adds a nice little um, twist. Like she tells her story. He tells his story. They tell their story, that kind of thing. So I did think it was interesting. I like the end. I like the twist. Um, I kind of went along with the story, but I actually was like, but wait, but does that make sense? I I did not. Re- I thought that it. she stole his sperm and impregnated mm-hmm. the girl. 
Right, of course. And then when they said <laughs> she bought the somebody sperm, online. sperm online, I'm like, wait, what? So very interesting story. Definitely would recommend it. A lot of different stuff going on. Um, but it was very cohesive. So I, I still enjoyed the story. How about you, Kari? Would you recommend this book? What's your final verdict? I would absolutely recommend this book, even with the characters, um, Noel and Floyd talking to each other, but not talking to each other. And the, the way that functioned oddly to me in the story, it didn't take away from the story for me either. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is just how we going to get around this. And maybe adding an element where you find a diary entry or you find a letter would have been too clunky. So this actually made it smoother, it although did. it was nonsensical. It did. I mean, literally... <laughs> You just got everybody telling their own story until they expire or disappear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Until they die. No, both of them Mm -hmm. until they die. So I I also liked how Laurel is finding herself as she's discovering what happened to her daughter. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really done that simultaneous storytelling as she's, um, investigating one story she's also finding the story she's been ignoring about herself and her family. Um, yeah, and then um, I, I mean, my notes say, "How is Noel telling her story?" And to who she says Floyd, but that doesn't make sense. And then Floyd is talking to Noel. How? Huh? Yeah, but it's what, so fine. What, you, what is it? Is it first person when the narrator is the? So each person is narrating their own story, and as it turns out, I actually enjoyed that. So people do like first person because it puts you in the head of the one telling the story. It's like show and tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can I mean, I can see that that's probably the hardest position to write from um, because it limits your point of view. You can only see what that character sees as they're telling their story. But um, so it can be hard to get had, around. I'm that. sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Finish. No, that was my thought. But we also mm-hmm. had everybody's viewpoint. Because they're hopping in and out of first person. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not something you do, you know. I, from what I'm taught, you don't really do that. But but how did it? I don't know. Lisa Jewel wasn't taught that, though, and it's right? worked. It worked. <laughs> it's worked. It worked. It worked. Because I just it love how um, Noelle tells the story up to her death. I like how yep. Ellie tells the story up to her death, how um, Floyd tells the story up to. And you don't talk about a thing after that. You just telling your and they're, part. They're the only first person characters. When we're in when we're following Laurel, that's all in second person. You know, right. so that's really interesting. So we feel mo- the most intimacy with the villains of the story because we're in their head. Yeah. Very interesting. It was really well okay. done, Lisa Jewel. I like that. Break the rules and make your own if it leads to a great story. Yeah. Um, also, there's an alternative ending where Ellie lives. Really? And, mm-hmm. And the editor was like, nah, let's darken it up. I don't know. The editor was having a bad week. It was like, let's push it. <laughs> and I liked that because... The stakes are never too high in these types of novels. The stakes were high here and people are actually gone. Wow. And as sad as that is, I w- I more admired the way it was told. Yeah. So did you feel sad reading this? No. No, it's sad. It's weird, it's right? Because it's a sad story, but... 
Nah, it was just so good. I didn't have time to feel sad. Right, right. No time for sad. <laughs> I've read this book three times now and I'm ready to read more Lisa Jewell. Have you read anything else by Lisa no, Jewell? No, no, but I would definitely read this book again. I was really drawn in. I just like the way that the way they um, tell the villain story. It's just, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Agreed. So highly recommend. Great. Great time. So what are we reading next week, Kari? We are reading Digging Deep Down in Those Roots, Poetry of Black Hair, Culture, Resilience, Personal and Collective Trauma by Katina Horton. Yes. Thank you. That is a book of poems. Looking forward to read, digging into those. Thank you for listening. We've never read a book of poems before. It's going to be exciting. Yes. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us because we love you too. Oh, and don't forget about you. Spotify. Okay, you can still leave us a, a review there. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something. Read something.